Hey, good morning, fitness friends, brothers and sisters in recovery. Welcome to 40,000 Steps Live. I'm your host, Christopher Heimerman. I am not a licensed healthcare professional, not a counselor. I am not an expert in my field in terms of any certification, but here's what I have. I have 670 days of sobriety. And I have the minerals to come on here and talk to you about it, talk to you about my story. And speaking of gumption, our guest tonight, Dominic, is going to join us and talk about his recovery as well. He is celebrating two years today, folks, two years of sobriety. Dominic is the first guy who walked up to me and shook my hand when we were at Gateway Foundation, when we were in rehab together. He got there a couple of days before me, and that changed the entire game. It got me ready to do the work. It's a beautiful morning for a run. Let's lace them up. It is 40,000 steps live. Let's get it. So like I said, in a few minutes, Dominic is going to join us and share his story. But first, I want to talk about mine a little bit, because I've been thinking these past few days, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about this emotional time of year, Uh, because two years ago, I checked into treatment. That would be two years and two days ago that happened. And, you know, a year ago, because of the pandemic and everything that we were dealing with, I didn't really have a chance to like sit with that and process it. So we were a little bit preoccupied with the whole like keeping our families safe, healthy and alive thing. So this year, I'm really making a point of it, of sort of examining, you know, those mile markers along my road to sobriety. And while Dominic was checking into Gateway Foundation two years ago today, for me on March 20th, I was actually clean and sober that day. I didn't realize this until I sat down and I thought about it, that I had gone through a few days of being clean and sober. And it was one of many times that I was like, do I have this thing beat? Have I gotten through this? Have I gotten over that hump where I'm going to be okay with never having a drink again? And there are these innocuous things that can happen that they seem so simple and trivial, yet they are pitfalls. The very next day, March 19th, the NCAA tournament started. And I gave myself the excuse. All those memories of drunken day drinking uh, catastrophes in college, all those memories came rushing back and I gave in to them and I figured, you know what? I need to celebrate this. I'm going to drink. So I did what I had been doing for quite some time, drank my way through the workday, survived it, got home, somehow hid it from my wife, and then the next day got up and started all over again. I remember the year before that, it was the opening day of the baseball season where it was like, it's opening day. Yeah, you know, I'm going to let myself indulge today. It's, it's incredible that like in that moment, it wasn't as if um, like anything went horribly wrong. But here's the thing, in slipping up on Thursday and then continuing, Continuing the slip up on Friday, it got to be the afternoon and something went really wrong at work. Somebody made me very angry and I snapped. I walked out. I bought a 12 pack of beer. I went and I parked over by the airport and I drank beer after beer until I thought that I was done and I wanted to end it all. 
And I messaged my wife, Kayla. She came and picked me up, brought me home. I packed a bag and just miserable and scared. I said goodbye to my kids, piled into an ambulance and went to the ER. Now, I had been in that exact same ER room a few months before that under similar circumstances, except that time, like I had just, I was like, you know what? I'm going to the hospital. I can't deal anymore. And that previous time, they had talked to me about the potential of treatment and getting help. It piqued my interest, but it was always, no, I, I can't leave my job. I need to provide for my family and I need to tough it out. However, this Saturday morning, March 23rd, 2019, and I say morning because, you know, I was there until the wee hours of the morning. I finally decided, no, no more. So Kayla picks me up in the middle of the night, like 3 a.m. That's a whole other story that's pretty ridiculous. We get home. I pass out, fall asleep, get up around 7.30, and I tell Kayla, I can't do this anymore. I can't go back to that job. It's killing me. I feel stuck, and I'm hopeless. And she said, you don't have to go back. You're never going back. And all the weight of the world came off my shoulders. I called Gateway. I started the intake process over the phone. I called my parents. I called my closest friends. And I, I poured out my soul. And without exception, I heard something in the lines of, I love you. I didn't know you were going through this. We need to get you better because I care so much about you. So that's what happened. I, I, I went to treatment that following Monday morning. That was the 25th. But guess what? Before I even went, Kayla went into work that morning and there were three or four of those beers left over that I didn't finish while I was parked by the airport. I dug them out of the recycling and I drank them before I even went into treatment. Because that was the pattern, like I was doing that to numb all of my fear about the unknown. I was doing that to numb the fact that I was terrified and I was so scared and sad that I had to leave my family for a while. So we had a miserable lunch during which, as always, I hid it from Kayla. She had no idea that I'd been drinking that morning. And I got into treatment and I was terrified. Um, the intake process was very long. You know, after sitting down you know, with, with the financial counselor and such, finally you go through processing. And what that is, is it's almost like going into, you know, being taken into jail where like you have to turn over anything and everything that could possibly be of harm to you. You have to strip down so that they can search the insides of the soles of your shoes, the whole nine yards and, and everything uh, where you could be hiding drugs or alcohol or anything like that. And then finally you get into your unit and it's not what you expected it to be. And you see your room and you unload your stuff. And then you wait for everybody to arrive. And for me, I was waiting for everybody to get back from dinner. And I was scared out of my mind. The door bursts open. Everybody comes flooding back in, full of food, fat and happy. And... I just stood there and a guy walks over to me in a baseball hat with really cool like tortoiseshell glasses. He just looked like a really cool dude. He walks over and he says, hey, I'm Dominic. It's good to meet you. And in that moment, so much weight came off and I was like, okay, okay, Christopher, you can do this. Let's do the work. And I did. And over the next couple of weeks, whether it be on this show, whether it be in the big blog at 40,000steps.wordpress.com, 
whether it be on the Facebook page, my Instagram page, I am going to document what that experience was because this year I'm going to process it. I didn't get that chance last year. So this year I'm really going to live through it, process it, and do some serious healing. Folks, Gateway Foundation, where Dominic and I, our treatment is the presenting sponsor of tonight's show. If drugs or alcohol are starting to take over your life, it's time to be honest with yourself and get help. These days, many are at home or out of work, and the temptation to turn to alcohol and drugs to cope with stress and anxiety is stronger than ever before. Stop using now before it's too late. Gateway Foundation is here for you and your family with life-saving inpatient as well as virtual programs so you can access the, the help that you need from the privacy of your home. Don't wait to get the help you or a loved one needs. Most insurance plans are accepted. Call Gateway Foundation now at 877-505-HOPE. That's 877-505-4673 and schedule a free confidential consultation or visit gatewayfoundation.org and get the help you need today. I cannot recommend that enough. At least checking to see what's possible and to see what you or your loved one needs. Gateway Foundation was the game changer for me. Um, it put me on the path. I wasn't perfect after I got on that path, but it set me up for success. And so much of that success began with Dominic, and he's going to join us in a little bit. But first, we're going to do the I Hear You segment in which I asked folks uh, if somebody told them that they have a problem and they might need to go to rehab, how would you answer them? And I got some awesome answers. So let's dig into, the, into that in this next segment, which is called I Hear You. Hey, welcome back, folks, to 40,000 Steps Live. I'm your host, Christopher Heimerman. And as promised, we have some incredible responses on social media from folks when they were asked the question, if someone came to you and told you they think they might have a problem and they might need to go to rehab, how would you handle that? These are awesome. And when we come to the I Hear You segment, this is, this is, a little, this is America's favorite game, as I like to call it. Anytime that you write us, comment, we love live participation in the show, by the way. So if any of this resonates, you know, type the number two, go ahead and comment. Let us know what's going through your head as you watch the show. Um, but whenever people reach out to us, we award them 40,000 points. Everybody who interacts with the show gets 40,000 points and everybody wins because one of the chief goals of this show is dismantling the stigma surrounding Addiction, mental illness, recovery, toxic masculinity, you run down the list. These are the things that we're bringing into the light so that we can expose them and we can advance our society, even if just a little bit. So I pose that question. Friend comes up to you. I have a problem. Maybe I need to go to rehab. Here's what folks said. And this first one, I'm going to lead off. I mean, you want, you want your best hitter to lead off in baseball, right? You want to get them as many at-bats as possible? Well, let's lead off with Alyssa, who says, I love you, and I'm so proud of you for saying that, this being the person who said they might need to go to rehab. She says, thank you for trusting me and sharing that with me. My life got better the second I got sober. How can I help? Do you need help investigating options or a ride there? Or do you want me to just sit with you? I'll do whatever you need. I replied to Alyssa and I said, that offering a ride is huge. 
This might come as a shock to a lot of you folks, but people who need help oftentimes don't have the resources to get help. It can be something as simple as a ride to rehab. My extraordinary wife drove me to rehab when I checked in. That had to have been brutal for her. More on her in just a moment. But I told Alyssa, I was like, that's such a great point. To which she said, barriers, such a common theme in so many stories. I'd like to see those walls broken down like the Kool-Aid man smashed through them. Oh yeah! Tony Martin says, ask them how I could be of assistance in their journey. Sobriety is a lifelong process that requires a lot of support. And I say that as someone who was raised by someone with substance abuse issues and also suffered from them myself. Tony, I'm so sorry that you had to live through that. I'm so glad that you're talking about it. I hope and pray that you're in a good place today. The fact that you're talking about it certainly indicates that you've done some healing. Thank you for sharing. This one's huge. And I'm going to read this verbatim because this is, this is, uh, this is pretty dope. My friend Adam says, I'd offer not only my support, but assistance. Ask follow-up questions like if they've done any research on rehab facilities. Have they told anyone else, their family, spouse, or close friends? Ask if they are seeing a therapist or, or have talked to a doctor about it. If they ever question about their job stability, and this is where it gets good, if they took a, a month plus off, I would be encouraging for them not to worry about it. Getting clean and bettering themselves is the most important thing. Most employers will work with their employees, even if it means using up PTO, sick days, FMLA, etc. A good employer that values its workers will work with them, and some may even offer aid themselves. If it is a dead-end job and they are easily replaceable, then losing the job is not a worry because once clean, they should be able to do a lot better in the labor market. Simply speaking, continue to be supportive, listen, but guide the decision when needed and showing that you care about them and their wellness. Guys, mm. yes, this is terrific. And I cannot thank you enough, Adam, for sharing this. Because yes, you think about it, when you're looking for a job, we need to remember that they're not just interviewing us, we're interviewing them, right? We need to work for people who care about us. We need to do jobs that speak to our soul. And, you know, I was talking with a fellow journalism friend the other day, and he was talking about um, the, the, uh, the EAP, Employee Assistance Program. And he said, it's not enough for them to say, hey, we've got this EAP if you ever need it. They need to have counselors reaching out to their reporters to say, hey, are you doing all right? That's a great employer. An employer who puts their employees' livelihoods first. Because this is going to be wild, right? But hey, a happy, healthy employee is a productive one. Look, if we're going to be obsessed with capitalism and if we're going to chase the almighty dollar relentlessly, let's, let's actually let's commit to it and take care of the people who are, who are our best worker bees. Okay, rant over. Julie says, my first priority would be reassuring them that I love them, that they deserve love, and that it is unconditional. Then I'd help dig into the nuts and bolts and build a plan, finding a facility that fits their needs, sorting out the financial end, arranging care for pets and or family members who need it, plan if and how they want to explain their time away to other family members and friends, etc. And I'd sandwich all of that into more reassurance that I love them. That is a heck of a sandwich. It's big, it's meaty, it's well thought through, all the flavors play together. That's a, that's a terrific sandwich. And I know this because my wife is an extraordinary culinary artist. 
And she replied to that and said, that was pretty much my approach, Julie. Love, reassurance, and nuts and bolts. And folks, the woman does not lie. She has stood by me with unconditional love, unlike any that I ever could have imagined. This is all tremendous advice. All of this stuff hits home, and I hope that it helps you guys. Speaking of helping you, I know that there's some folks out there who might be wondering, hey, do I have a problem? Do I need to check into rehab? Maybe some of this helped you, or maybe my guest will help you. Celebrating two years of being clean today is my friend Dominic. It's time to chat with him in the guest room. Let's head there right now. Hey, welcome back to 40,000 Steps Live. I'm your host, Christopher Heimerman, and I am humbled, absolutely humbled to be joined by my brother in recovery, Dominic. Hey, as I welcome you in, buddy, I, I, I got a little surprise for you. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So we, we psychopaths, I mean runners, this is a big deal for us. Mm. Happy two years, buddy. <laughs> well, thank you, you like sir. I appreciate that. I do. I like it a lot. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you bet. Hey, thanks for joining us, man. How are things? Uh, they're really good. Um, can't complain, you know. Um, just doing my thing, staying sober. It's good stuff, you know. I, I have uh, a new little guy. He's about eight months now. Um, and then my other guy, he's just a madman. He's going on three years old. So, you know, life's good. My wife is really good. Um, I'm doing a career change right now, as you know. No, it's not bad. Life's a little hectic with like, you know, it's getting nicer out. So I do a lot of side work to like kind of stay afloat. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's picking up. And, you know, one of the things that are important when life gets hectic is just kind of taking a minute and, you know, stop and smell the roses, I guess, if you will. Um, Now, previously, we might not have had the opportunity to do that when we were in the thick of our addiction. I mean, we were just talking about it the other day. Could you imagine if what happened a year ago, if that would have happened while we were in it, man? I mean, that the things that we're the transitions we're making now, it would have been an absolute dumpster fire, wouldn't it, man? Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind. Like when I was using pretty, pretty hard. Um, if something like this came about, you know, like it did a year ago and maybe after three, four months, there was no end in sight. There's no doubt. I mean, I would probably be honestly suicidal at that moment. Um, I didn't know how to deal at all. You know, my emotions went, there was no in between. It was either I was, I was really, really sad, really angry. Um, so no, I mean, you know, and, and that's the beauty of, of this, this last year is really seeing how sobriety kind of affects you and how you handle your situation. Um, you know, it, instead of, you know, turning a negative into another negative, you know, I, I decided to make it into a positive. So, you know, the whole silver lining after three, four months of, you know, no job, nothing like that. I told my wife, I was like, Hey, you know what? Look, I think it's time for a career change. I always wanted to do a career change and there was just never time to do it or it was never like a good, a a good time to do it. You know, I mean, it was just, you know, it was financial stuff and, you know, I kids and mortgage stuff like that. So it's like, you can't just take time off work to go tackle a career change in my mind. 
So the whole silver lining to the whole COVID thing was just like, you know, I got to go back to school. I'm working towards, you know, my, my new career. And, you know, I got to spend time with my family, which once I start that new career, I mean, when am I ever going to have time to take a year off, you know, and just enjoy my family, you know, and, and a big part of it was, is, you know, with, with my first one, Vincenzo, I never saw Vincenzo, you know, I always worked overtime. I mean, I, I, I'd see him maybe an hour of the day and that was mm -hmm. if I did at all, because usually when I came home, I was heading straight to my shop and I was going to use and, you know, isolate and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, I, I get this time now, it, you know, I, I was thinking the other day, like how the biggest mistake of my life was being so, heavily into what I was doing and missing those first nine months, basically of my firstborn's life. I was home, but I wasn't home. If that makes sense. I hope that you've gotten to a place though, where like, I, I don't necessarily see the productivity in like always looking back and be like, Oh man, I missed out on that time. And like always feeling like I'm eternally trying to, to like, to make up for that. You know, I, I hope you've gotten to a place now where I was like, man, this is awesome right here, right now. This is what I'm never going to take for granted again. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't dwell on it. Um, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just the thought that kind of comes in my mind every once in a while. And I think it'd be hard to kind of put that on the back burner. I always do. I don't, I don't try to live my life in the past at all. You know, I try to make the most of my days and I, and I don't, I don't like making the most of my days dwelling on the past. So I, you know, it is, it's good stuff. You know, me and my kids, we have um, great relationships, especially with Vincenzo. Now that he's three, he's kind of like his own little human being now. And uh, yeah, he's sassy too. And um, <laughs> you know, it's like, we just, we, we have a great bond, him and I. So, you know, it's, it's just, it, it was, it was hard in the past, but you know, it's, it's, it's better every day. And I just, you know, I thank everyone for their support. You know, when I, when I did go into treatment and stuff like that. In a moment here, we're going to kind of get into the nuts and bolts of what that looked like for you. Um, sure. Before we get away from this topic though, this has been so many silver linings, obviously the chance to reinvent yourself, the chance to be with your family and stuff. But we have this deep rooted, this deep seated idea that we, as the parents and specifically as the fathers, that we're the hunters and gatherers that we're supposed to be out there all the time, like earning, providing for our family. How do you deal with that? Like, how do you cope with, with trying to break through all these like societal norms that frankly are ridiculous? Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. And that was my thought kind of going into it this past year, you know, like you, it starts wearing on you, you know, like, I mean, I, I'm sure you and every other, you know, man, woman or whoever, you know, out there that's in a supporting role, you know, we all grew up, like I grew up, my dad's a blue collar guy. I'm a blue collar guy. My grandfather's a blue collar guy. And I always grew up watching my dad just, just go, go, go all the time just to support us. Um, and whether it was, you know, he'd be at work, you know, we, he, we, we all worked in the city. So same deal. I would only see my dad for, you know, two hours of the day. And then on weekends he was going to do side jobs and that was just to provide us with like a better life. So that's how I was kind of brought up. So when this whole thing came about, it was just a big shock. Um, and you start, I don't know how to explain it. Like you, you just kind of feel 
for me, I've kind of felt shame. And Mm -hmm. once I kind of had that time to reflect on it, I started kind of seeing it's like, it's out of my control. You know, I can't, I can't control something, you know, that, that is just there. And I, I can't do anything about, you know, COVID is, you know, a pretty, pretty strong entity. And, um, I can't do anything about that, you know? Uh, so yeah, I mean, for me, it was, it was shame at first, but it was just, you, you really got to take time, especially as like an, you know, a recovering addict. You, once you identify those, those feelings and thoughts, you really have to take time to sit down and kind of, kind of think on them a bit. Well, it, it, it's wild that we come around to that word shame again, because again, I'll say that maybe you and I were more ready for this to go down because I mean, right. you talk about guilt and guilt and shame. Those are the freaking central threads of addiction and recovery. So we, maybe we had a little bit of a head start and we were prepared for this overwhelming amount of shame and how to get through it. But Hey folks, Dominic and I had, we, you know, we went to rehab, got us on the road to recovery whether it be for you or for somebody else in your life, maybe that's the best course of action. How do you find that out, right? Well, let me tell you about DUI Behavioral Health Counseling Centers. They've got three offices here in Northern Illinois. Maybe other interventions can get you or your loved ones sober. They don't have to end up in rehab. It's tough to tell. Well, they can set you up with an assessment to find out that specifically tailored program that you help. So if you think there might be an issue for you or someone you love, you get that evaluation and you can get it quickly. They can actually set up an appointment for you within a day or two. They've got offices in Sycamore as well as Plano and Crystal Lake. And depending on your situation, folks, this could be free. At the very most, it's going to be 80 bucks. That's the max. If you're a veteran or an NIU student or unemployed, you're going to get a, you're going to get a break on the cost. Ron Parch, my guy, Ron Parch's team, they use 24 five years of experience to tailor that individualized treatment plan and it's confidential, it's effective, and they approach this from the perspective of respect. That is huge. Check out DUISycamore.com. Like I said, they've got offices in Sycamore, Plano, and Crystal Lake. I'm sure that if you don't live around here in Northern Illinois, Ron will be ha- will be happy to help you find a place that can do the assessment. So give them a call at 815-895-9000, set up that evaluation, have somebody to talk to. Once again, write this down, call 815-895-9000, visit duisycamore.com or email duibhs.com. Ron's the man. He was here on a on a previous episode. You can check that out by going to our YouTube page to search for 40,000 Steps, or you can hear old episodes by searching 40,000 Steps on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your favorite shows in my best radio voice. So Dominic, let's let's kind of get into the uh let's get into the dirty details a little bit. Tell me about sure. your road lead. <laughs> tell tell us about because for me, my dumpster fire was fueled by alcohol. For you, it was a bit different. Tell me about uh, leading up to rehab. What, what did your world look like? Oh, man. Um, and I've told this story probably a thousand times. Um, so my life at, uh, at the time, it was – I'll get into, like, how I kind of started this whole debacle. So first of all, I was I was addicted pretty strongly to amphetamines, um, and most people when I tell them that they think like crystal meth. It wasn't crystal meth. 
it was like stuff like Adderall and Vyvanse. Um, and then, you know, I, I was, a I was a very heavy user of marijuana. Um, I drank, um, not heavy though. So how this all started is I got into the construction field 10 years ago. The first four years of my career, I was pretty much like an animal. Um, I was a very good worker. I went to work every day, never late, always showed up on time and I worked hard and I was very loyal to the people I worked for. Um, I started getting a little more into the drinking side. Once you get like out of your apprenticeship, you start making more money. I was young. I liked to party. So I go out drinking and I was always offered these pills throughout like those four, those first four years. I, I always turned them down. I was very, I was very afraid of pills. I actually had a grandmother, my mom's mom. She, she actually passed away from a pill overdose. So knowing that at such a young age, I was, I, the fear of taking any kind of medication, um, to alter my mind, like scared me. So I was always against pills, but one night, you know, I was drinking heavy. I had to go to work the next day and I had a girl, one of my friends at the time offer me one of these pills that I've always been offered the last four years. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. Give me the pill. Knowing that I had to go into work the next day, I was going to be hungover. So I go into work. Um, the first three hours of the day were terrible. Um, I was, I was obviously hungover. I couldn't do my work. And I said, you know what? I'm going to give it a try. I popped this pill about a half hour later. I was like, Oh my God, where has this been? And then from there it started up. Um, I started getting them from a doctor. I went to a doctor, made up a story and I, I got them through him. And, you know, I, I, the benefit of doing it was just, I could work harder than the average person. I could work longer than the average person and, you know, and, and superior's eyes. It was just like, I was, I was just the man. And, um, mm -hmm. I rode that for a while throughout the years. Yeah. You know, I, I, I met my wife, I was still doing it. I wasn't as crazy then. Um, and not because of her, I'm just saying like, I just wasn't, it, the, the pills didn't affect me because the, what, what that pill does, it starts kind of affecting your brain big time. Uh, you start kind of getting, um, like drug induced mental issues from it. And that's what started creating like a monster in me. I feel like, so I'll fast forward when I, before I went to treatment, I had a lot of people around me telling me and noticing something was wrong. I wasn't myself. And everyone's like, what's wrong with you? You know, like, dude, like you're bipolar. What, what's the deal? Like, you're always mad. Like, well, what's going on with you? And to me, I was just, I was normal, you know, like, no, I'm fine. You know, you're, you're crazy. You know, and I had people really close to me telling me this. I had my father who was like my idol, my hero telling me, he's like, you know, you should stop taking that part of me. He's like, you should stop taking that shit that you're on, you know? And I'm like, no, I'm fine. It doesn't do anything to me. I'm cool. So I was spending my days really, really high. I was a motorhead, if you will. So I had a lot of energy. My emotions were multiplied times like a thousand. So I'd show up to work. I would, I'd pop my pills before I get into work. I get really energetic, really, you know, I'd really get going. If any little thing on the job kind of irked me the wrong way, I would get really mad. Um, eventually what started happening is I was driving home my, my truck every day. I was leaving work and for some odd reason, I would just start crying in my truck. 
I didn't know why I was just so sad. And then I started kind of visioning what my funeral would look like, what this world would be like if I was gone. And that was like the, the first big thing that stood out to me. Like, okay, maybe there's something wrong. I'd come home being so high and energetic. The only way I knew how to come down from it, cause I couldn't sleep at all. Um, the only way I could come down to it was go out in my shop. Um, I would grab like a fifth of rye whiskey or scotch, something like that. And I had a lot of marijuana because in my mind, it was okay for me to grow marijuana in my house with, you know, a child and a wife. And she couldn't tell me otherwise. And I would go out in my garage and I would just self-medicate. You know, I would drink and smoke so much to where I would almost go into a blackout stupor. And I would drink close to a fifth a night. You know, I'm, I'm blacking out for about two, three hours. But the way the pills work is that I couldn't sleep more than that. So I'd wake up like four hours before I had to even be at work, head into the city, go to a diner, sit there for three hours, you know, and just chill because I couldn't sleep. And it started making me like literally insane. So went through a couple jobs. I, I, I quit my one job. I just pulled the curtain down, had a really good, good thing going over there. And I, I just thought I was, you know, in my mind, like, you know, when you're addicted to drugs, your ego sometimes is just huge. Um, and I just thought I was the best man for that job. I deserved more, you know, and really I wasn't. It was really ignorant of me to think that. From my perspective, I thought that I was Hunter S. Thompson. Like when, when I drank, all of a sudden I was right. brilliant. So game recognized game, mm -hmm. man. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, one day I was just pissed. I, I felt, you know, I'm not getting the recognition. I'm not, you know, getting the money, you know, so I pulled it all down. I went to go work at another outfit that lasted two weeks, got into confrontation there, quit right there on the spot. There was an altercation, got another job. I was there for a few months, got fired from that job. And that's when I realized, okay, something's going on here. I had never gone through that many <laughs> jobs, like, you know, in such a short period of time, like I, something was going on. That was the thing that I noticed. And I had a lot of people telling me up until this point, something was going on with me. I wasn't the same. And I came home, you know, I, I was driving home and I was, I was, I was scared to tell my wife and I, I sat in, the, in my, in my shop and, uh, you know, I called my dad and I, I said, Hey, listen, I, I think I'm having a problem. I think I'm having an issue here. And my dad's like, yeah, I know you are, you know, what, what do you want to happen? And I'm like, mm -hmm. I need help getting off this. Like I can't get off it on my own. He's like, okay. You know, so he came over. Um, we talked, we went to a, another treatment center out in Naperville, like thinking we were just going to check in right away. And it didn't work like that. It was like a weekend. They're like, oh yeah, we can't take anyone right now. Shit. Like, well, like I'm here to get help. You know, and you're telling me you can't take me. So I'm going to go home and do my thing. So I came home, my dad left and then called, uh, called gateway the next day. So the counselors, like they were super cool. I remember I got this chick, Rachel, and, um, I mean, just very comforting talking to her on the phone, like very, you know, just very comforting feeling, you know, we, we got it. They got me in bed right away and we we're like, okay, let's go. You know? So I, I packed a bag. You know, before, before all that went, you know, I just, before we went, you know, I, I apologized to my wife. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm putting you through this. Like I'm ready to make this happen. I apologized to my son. 
you know, he was nine months. He couldn't understand me, but I had a conversation with him, you know, and I, I cried to him and I, I, I just knew I wasn't the father I could be. And it just made me so sad, like looking at him and knowing I wasn't there for a good portion of his life. And, um, I told him, I'm sorry, you know, I'll, I'll be better. And he came with us actually to the intake. And as I'm sitting there and intake, you know, I'm just looking at him in his carrier and he's chilling. He's nine months old. He was being a good boy. And my wife was there. My dad was there. And that was it. You know, like I got checked in, you know, and I promised my wife, like, okay, it's it's going to, it's going to get better from here on out. I was a very angry person, very angry. You know, my wife for the, she took, took a lot of verbal abuse. That's for sure. For those years up and coming to this. And, you know, I just told my wife, like, I knew it wasn't myself. And I, and I was just happy to be a treatment. Like I was done, like I was done with drugs. I was done with alcohol. Like I was tired of it. You know, like you get to a point in your mind where you're just like, I'm so tired of this. Like, you know, it's just a pattern after a while, wake up, take the pills, come home, get drunk, stone, go to sleep for two hours, wake up. Like it's, it's exhausting. Mentally, it's exhausting. Physically, it's exhausting. And all the while, your world's crumbling around you, and you're almost like you got the blinders on. You know, you don't want to think it because in your mind, you're always right. You have an ego, you know, like it's it's really messed up. Like anyone battling addiction knows what I'm talking about. It's it's crazy. There's a lot of folks in our audience who can relate to this on mm-hmm. on any number of levels. They've either been there and they've lived it and they've survived it. Or they're in a spot where it's like, okay, do I think that I need to go to treatment? And I, I just want to weigh in on that for him because I want to share my little sad story. When we were waiting in the uh, lobby to go for me to be checked in, for me to go uh, through intake, our daughters were were coloring. They gave them some sheets to color, and then you know they colored those. They got bored with them, so they took some magazines. It was like Good Housekeeping or something that like you know they just wanted something to look at. There was an ad for Disney World. And Elise turns and she looks at me and she says, dad, when can we go to Disney? And it was, it was so simple. And it just, it just crushed me because it was like, wow, if I hadn't wasted thousands of dollars poisoning Mm -hmm. myself and just being an absolute abomination of a dad. Yeah. Maybe we could be going this spring, honey. But um, so I I guess let's kind of take the step forward and let's talk about treatment itself. After you go through all the rigmarole of the, uh, the financial stuff, you sit down and you talk with, uh, with the nurse when you, when you got to your unit, what, what was that like for you? So we talked about it. (laughs) So I was, I was frightened, you know, going in there. I didn't know what to expect, you know, like I, I thought, you know, I'm like, I'm just here for pills, you know, like I knew that like, there was probably going to be like much more hardcore people there. So I go in with this other guy and they sit us down this bench in this hallway and this bench is right next to this little gym that we had at gateway. I love that we call it. A and, they sit, <laughs> and it's not, it's like a, a little like 10 by 10 room. And all I hear is like blasting gangster music, like super loud. I hear like, you know, the sounds of weights hitting each other. And I hear like dudes like, you know, ah, ah. and I'm like, where the hell am I? Like, am I in, <laughs> like, am I at San Quentin right now? Like what's going on here? You know, like, 
oh my god and so <laughs> okay so i'm sitting there and miss juanita miss juanita comes out and uh another guy comes out of the gym you know and you got your and at this time i still have my like this this you know facade on like i'm just mr tough guy you know and this guy comes out and I give him a look and he comes right up to me and he's like, Hey, what's up? I'm so-and-so he's like, welcome, you know? And I'm like, Oh, Hey, what's going on? You know? And, and that, that put my mind at ease. And I'm like, well, maybe it'll be like this, you know, I go in, you know, you, they, they search you and you do all that. And I go into the unit and then uh, I had this other guy comes up to me. Good kid. It was like a lot of younger guys there, you know, and she's like, Hey, what's up? It was pretty much the whole unit came up to me said, Hey, what's up? Welcome. How you doing? You know? And I was just like, I mean, it just, it was very comforting. And then I met my roommates, you know, and, and it was, it was comforting. You know, I mean, at first a little, a little frightened, terrified, you know, walking into a jailhouse scene type deal. But (laughs) after that, it was, it was all good. You know, I was, I was happy with it. I mean, like, yeah, I don't know. I, I I kind of felt that peace. Yeah, the, you know, the, the food was better than I expected. You know, I I didn't know what to expect going into it. There was a lot more of the group work than I expected. But in hindsight, like, I'm glad that we were, like, constantly able to do the work so that when we got out, we'd be as prepared as possible. I mean, you ran into some stuff in there that you didn't see coming, you know, not just in terms of the treatment experience, but you learned some stuff about yourself while you were there too, in terms of like the underlying stuff as to why you used. And you told me the other day, it was like, you took your mask off and you alluded it, alluded to it before, but talk about that underlying stuff. I think for you, it was, it was depression, right? It was, yeah. I was just, you know, I was, I was one of these people that in my mind for years, I always thought I was just, I was here on this earth for a much bigger cause. And, you know, and and in my mind, you know, it was all these different things, you know, and I always wanted instant gratification. You know, I I didn't think, you know, my career was going to be, you know, being a, a union laborer, building skyscrapers the rest of my life. Like it just, and I think that was the whole underlying issue is that, you know, that's why I started using because I started, I started hating my job you know, and then using made my job a lot better because I was good at it and I could show up every day and do the work and not hurt and ache and pain. And so for me, it was just being unhappy and, you know, I, it, it sucked. And, um, that was really why I started using and I would, I would get so depressed. And when I wasn't using, Oh my God, my depression was, it was so bad. And that's, yeah, I mean, that was, that was pretty much it. Let, let's kind of flip it on its head now. Um, let's let's stop living there for a minute and let's talk about, you know, you step outside after treatment and you have that feeling of freedom. I don't know about for you, but like riding on the interstate was really weird after being in a, build, in a building nonstop mm-hmm. for a few weeks. Um, but since then, I mean, talk, let's talk, let's focus on how good life is now. I know that you love fishing. It's getting nicer outside. You're going to be able to get out on the boat. I, I assume that your relationships with family, friends, your wife, your boys is so different. Talk to me about the payoff from doing the work. Man, I don't even know where to start with that one. Um, Cause there's just so many of them. There's like, so like life is so different now. Like going back to what we talked about before, you know, if what hit a year ago, like when I was using, Oh my God, I don't even, I don't even think I'd be here. So, I mean, just being able to deal with certain things like, you know, and, 
in certain situations and and home life and stuff like that. You know, like I would, when I was using, I was waking up every morning and if I couldn't find a certain sweatshirt, I was, I was bad, you know, I mean, to my wife, you know, like, I mean, I was, I was just, I was miserable. I was mean. And now it's like, I, I can't even remember since I've been on treatment. I can't remember the last argument I've, I've had with my wife. I, I can't remember it. I'm easygoing. I'm easy. You know, I, I get along with everybody. I, you know, I don't let people affect how I feel. Um, and that's, and just practicing that it's really easy. You know, um, my, my relationship with my kids is like, Oh my God, it's like a hundred times better. I, I love like doing stuff with them. I adore them. Um, I love showing them new stuff, man. It's just, it's good. Life is good, you know? And it's funny. You said coming out of, uh, out of rehab. I remember when I came out, my dad picked me up. Yeah. Riding on the interstate was a little strange. Um, and then I remember we, we, I, just, I, just, I was like, I just remember that. <laughs> yeah. And it was, what's weird is that like, this is the way the universe like kind of laughs at me is that when they told, they told me like my whole like discharge date, they're like, all right, you're going to get out on the 20th. And it was 420 when I got out. And you gotta remember I was a heavy, <laughs> heavy marijuana user since I was like 12 years old. So I'm like, Oh yeah, of course. Like this is how the universe like, yeah, that's funny. So I get out on 420. We're riding. I told my dad, I'm like, I just want a Dunkin' Donuts coffee so bad. So we stop at Dunkin' Donuts and I remember I put my order in and the girl gives me my Dunkin' Donuts and she's like, don't worry, it's it's on the house. You know, you, I, you didn't have to pay. And I'm like, oh, right on. Okay, cool. I turn to my dad. I'm like, there you go. There's just, you know, it's, it's a sign, you know. So right away it got better. I got a free coffee, you know, so that was cool. And then my dad bought like a bunch of steaks, you know, and um, – my dad bought a bunch of a bunch of steak and eggs, you know, for breakfast. And I remember being in my yard and it was just a really beautiful spring, you know, sunny day. And I just it was the sun was just on my face. I was in my backyard with all my fruit trees, you know, and it was just such like a moment. I don't even know how to describe it. It was like just like almost like a spiritual moment for me, like a big wave of just like ease came across me and comfort and i remember just like kind of tearing up and just kind of having a moment in my backyard where i'm like okay like everything's going to be good you know we, we got to put the work in and everything's going to be good and i did you know and i still do so it's it's yeah, not well, easy it's, you know my my guy uh jason isbel uh one of my favorite musicians like one of the greatest songs that i heard last year was uh it gets easier but it never gets easy I think this is a primo place for us to leave off. I think that you and I could talk for days. I think we could do just an episode on all the crazy stuff that you encounter in treatment. Let's have you back on sometime, man. I'm so glad to see you're doing well. I'm going to do it again. Just Oh, yeah. Go have an awesome day. I know you've got like four or five different side hustles you got to do. Enjoy the, mm -hmm. uh, enjoy the weekend with your family, and we'll catch up soon. All right, brother? Yeah, you as well, Chris. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, dude. We'll see you soon. All right, folks. How about that? Anybody else get misty like five times over the past half hour? That was heavy. That was powerful. That was amazing. And I am eternally indebted to Dominic for coming on this show as well as for sharing his story and for helping out his boy when I first got to treatment and he greeted me. Folks, 
we got to tie this thing up. We're very excited about the next show that we're going to have on March 30th. Andre Williams is going to be joining him. I met him here in DeKalb. He was working on a program that was working to increase accesses for mental health for uh, the underserved populations of town. He now lives in Florida and he's starting up a similar program. He's been involved with, with politics, but predominantly it's those grassroots initiatives to help increase access to mental health services. I cannot wait to have him on the show and talk about how if we address that stuff, if we make it easier for people to not just talk about their problems, but to get legitimate help, society is just going to be so much better off for it. So that is March 30th. Folks, if you haven't yet, sign up for our free newsletter at 40,000steps.wordpress.com. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, I'm going to have a Pinterest page soon, which is kind of weird. I'm on TikTok. Strange things.